It's a cool autumn afternoon in May 1862. Wait, autumn is in September, October. Oh, wait, this is South Africa. It's upside down. Forgot about that. Anyway, it's a cool afternoon in 1862 in South Africa. British-born whites and colonial-born whites, soldiers and civil servants, play a game of football. This is the first recorded football match on the continent of Africa, and it was played between white guys. This is an all-too-familiar story for Africa, especially colonial Africa. This week on Coffee Shop Talk, we'll be looking at how football was brought to the continent of Africa, a continent with a complicated relationship with the sport, but at the end of the day, an undying love for the sport. In this season of Coffee Shop Talk, we'll be looking at the history of football in Africa, from its complicated and racialized beginnings to its even more complicated present and still racialized. Maybe not as much, but still racialized. So join me as we look at how football was brought to the continent. The history of football in Africa, like most things, begins with a bunch of nosy white dudes looking for some money and new ways to vent their anger. During the 19th century, European powers were looking for new ways to open new markets, expand their industrial capacity, and what better way than to go to a continent minding its own business? Africa, just sitting across the Mediterranean Sea, open to the hungry hands of European powers. Colonialism brought the sport to Africa during the 1860s. And as mentioned before, the first evidence comes from South Africa. The form of football that these home-born and colonial-born whites played is one that's unfamiliar to us at today. It was one that combined elements of the modern-day soccer and rugby. It was a rough and tussle, all about driving the ball from one side of the pitch to the other. There was a lack of centralized rules. This was being played by bourgeoisie and elite people who were living in the colony at this time. And the question is, why did soccer win out against rugby? While rugby is still popular in South Africa to this day, its reputation is commonly associated with white power, whereas soccer is commonly associated with black power. And this all began with the Boer Wars. All you really need to know about the Boer Wars, though, you can go open a Wikipedia article, which I had to do for this. All you really need to know for the Boer Wars is that it was a bunch of wars fought between the British government and a bunch of, and I put this in quotes, native Afrikaners, old Dutch colonists left over from the remnants of a Dutch empire who had stayed in South Africa. They had set up their own cities and their own culture based around this idea of Afrikaners instead of Dutch. And of course, to fight the Boer Wars, and really any war, you can't have pinkies up, noses up, bourgeoisie that were living in South Africa this time fight your wars. You got to protect them. I mean, they're the wealthy. But in order to fight these wars, you have to fill the ranks with working class British soldiers. These working class British soldiers made their way to South Africa. And by the 1890s, football was already big back home in England. And not the weird mishmash that I described earlier of soccer and rugby. No, I mean the modern day sport as we know it. 
albeit with some tactical twists. But it was based on offsides, using your feet, there was a handball, goalkeepers, the whole nine yards. Or I guess, in this case, the whole nine meters. But anyway, this influx of working-class British soldiers brought soccer with them. They brought that version of soccer with them. It popularized the sport there. And as the sport is associated with working-class people, it would inevitably become associated with the working-class black people who would live in South Africa and all over the continent to this day. Now, as more and more people came into the colony in order to play their sport, they were looking for structure and administration. I mean, it's the British at the end of the day. You got to do it the Anglo-Saxon way. You got to have some sort of rules, some sort of license, some sort of administration. So subsequently, there was the foundation of the whites-only South African Football Association in 1892. This name is going to be extremely important. So remember this association. So it was established in 1892. And this would be the first national governing body of the sport on the continent. And later, when South Africa got its independence in 1910, it became the first member of FIFA from the continent. Now, this is a huge milestone. But at the end of the day, we have to remember it was whites only. And this is the story of football in Africa, at least in the beginning. And maybe to this day, you could argue, it's a Eurocentric sport though Africans don't see it that way. And that's what's so complicated and nuanced about the whole situation. Now, of course, the sport wasn't just being played in British colonies, not just in South Africa, not just in Nigeria, not just in Kenya. It was also being played in now the colonies of other major European powers. As the sport spread to other major European powers, such as France, Belgium, Italy, they too brought the sport to their own colonies. By the 1890s, French soldiers who are now familiar with football brought it to Iran in Algeria. And Algeria is going to be an important, important country in the relationship of football in Africa. All the major European superpowers were bringing the sport to their own colonies. And by the 1910s, games were regularly being played in capital cities of all major European colonies, specifically port cities, which usually served as the major point for European capitals and the colonies because it was easier to get to the supply lines. Now, even though the sport is being played all over the continent in major European colonies, it tended to thrive better under British colonies. And this is where we get to the title, the meat of what we're trying to talk about, is this idea of the white man's burden, its relationship with soccer, and why the white man's burden is arguably the reason why football is so popular in Africa. Maybe it could have thrived on the continent without the active push by British officials to spread the sport throughout the continent as a vehicle of white man's burden, but we would not know that. That's not the history we live in, and that's the thing we must accept. We can't sugarcoat what the truth is. The truth is the sport was used as a vehicle to civilize the natives, according to the British, and later other European powers. How did this idea of football being a vehicle of the white man's burden stem from? Well, you can point to another Eurocentric thing, industrialization. Now, the thing about industrialization is that from a historical standpoint, starts in England. 
but doesn't get to the other European powers until maybe the early 1900s. But England already had industrialization by the time they set up their colonies. So what does industrialization do to a country? Well, it increases productivity, increases wages. It moves people from rural areas to urban areas as they look for jobs in factories. Now you combine all these things, people being exposed to other people, more time, more money, you need ways to entertain yourself. You're not just sitting on a farm all day anymore thinking about, is my corn going to grow or is my potatoes going to grow? I'm sorry, Ireland. No. Now you're living in a metropolitan area with a lot of people that are looking for ways to entertain themselves. Football was one of them. And by the time the British set up their colonies, they had noticed that football exuded certain values within its players. It exuded camaraderie, teamwork, hard work, honor, and everything else that is good about life. The British understood these values that soccer brought, and that's what they figured that if bringing it to the colonies, they could take these savage people, introduce them to a sport that made them healthy, and introduce them to European values that they felt that many Africans lacked. When the British first got to the continent, Africans had their own sports. They had their own activities. But what the British saw was sports based on individual talent. There was nothing about it based on teamwork. Now, this is subjective at the end of the day. This is a bunch of racist people believing this. It's not something that's inherently true. We can't make a statement and say all sports in Africa before Europeans had no teamwork whatsoever. That's just what British people internalize. That's what British officials internalize. And they believe that by introducing the sport of football, they could help civilize. There was active implementation of this belief. Teachers such as Frederick Mulford helped infuse the sport into the local population. And in port cities all over British colonies, the sport was now being played by Africans themselves. Now, we can just assume that from a more logistical standpoint, that it was purely the British who helped to infuse the sport into the local population. But the sport wouldn't be as popular as it is today without some sort of native inkling towards the sport. And this is true. It wasn't just something that British thought that could help the Africans. It was something the Africans really liked. They saw it and they kind of ignored what was being pushed onto them and just saw it for what it was. It was a fun pastime. Kids were playing with seeds on the street because of how much they liked the sport. Africans were coming to games when they weren't allowed to to watch the game play. And so not only were the British actively pushing the sport, there was this innate desire to take on the sport for themselves. And they would later Africanize the sport, as we will explore in the next episode. However, another thing we need to talk about is the vehicles through which the British were able to inseminate the sport throughout the continent. And there's three major institutions that we can look to that helped propel the sport to the standard that it is today. The first being railroad companies. Now, from a logistical standpoint, railways help push the sport inwards. Obviously, you're taking ideas that are European and new, or just ideas in general, and you're taking it to places that used to be unconnected from port cities inwards. So from a logistical standpoint, the sport is being brought inward. But at the same time, 
Railroad companies themselves saw the sport as a way to foster team building. It was a team building exercise, just as you do icebreakers at the beginning of the class or at a meeting. Railway companies were using soccer as their icebreakers. They saw it foster teamwork, camaraderie, and honor and hard work. All the things that British people felt about the sport, railroad companies were implementing that too. And railroad companies employed both Europeans and Africans. And they played together. And African people working at these railroad companies see this new cool sport and they're bringing it back to their villages, to their families, to their friends, and exposing the sport to them. The second major institution to help spread the sport was the British military itself. Now, at first, rank-and-file members of the British military were playing the sport, but it was frowned upon. But eventually, officers and high-ranking officials within the military saw that it could encourage the values being preached just as the railroad companies saw that and what the overall ideas of the British government were. They saw it encourage self-discipline, aggressive masculinity, and camaraderie, and eventually would come to be a required tenant of being in the military. Now, these British military didn't just include white British people, but include Kenyans, Ghanaians, South Africans, and Nigerians, and so on and so forth. So Africans were being exposed to the sport as well. But no matter how you slice and dice it, at its core, the biggest distributors of soccer were Western Christian schools. Now, priest Charles Kingsley, um, one of a teacher at one of these schools, once famously said that soccer gives virtues that no books can give. Sport, and specifically soccer, provides moral fiber and is a reflection of the life of a man with values such as endurance, self-restraint, fairness, and honor. And this is exactly what was being preached all over the continent by British officials. And the minds of children are the easiest to influence. And this is a double-edged phenomenon. Both here, the railroads, British military, and the overall sentiment that soccer itself was being actively pushed as a way to civilize, as a way to encourage values seen only in Europe, according to British officials. But at the same time, it was actively being sought out by Native Africans because it was fun. It was, I mean, we play it today, we watch it today, and we know how fun it can be. Imagine it being introduced to you for the first time as a kid. All you'd want to do is play it. And it's being encouraged at school. Hell, that's all I would do. Screw those books, as Charles Kingsley says. I'd just play soccer all day. And proof of the success of Western Christian schools in spreading the sport was that early members of early clubs that permitted Africans were actually Christian Africans who either were in contact with these schools or brought up through these schools. So overall, it was being actively pushed by British officials to help civilize the native Africans and was helped being pushed by railroad companies, the British military, and Christian Western schools. Now, we've talked a lot about Great Britain. I mean, God saved the queen and all, but like there are other oppressors in Africa at this time, not just the British. We have the French. We have, don't even get me started on the Belgians. I don't even know why the Italians are there, to be honest. But how does football develop in their colonies? Well, like I said earlier, French soldiers, Belgian soldiers, Italian soldiers who were now exposed to the sport within Europe 
were now bringing the sport over to their colonies. But initially, soccer flourished within British colonies first because of the things we talked about with industrialization and this realization of moral fiber. This too would eventually happen with the French, the Belgians, and the Italians. As industrialization impacted those home countries, they started to see the impact that soccer could have on the moral character. As French people, as Belgian people, as Italian people started to experience the same things that working class British people were experiencing, such as higher productivity, moving to cosmopolitan areas, where now French people don't have to just worry about their farm. Now they have more time to think about other things. They want soccer. And French people started to realize that soccer had certain values. And when I say French people, I'm talking about the rest of Europe too who had colonies. It's just easier that way. So eventually by the early 1900s, the French government would start to include the values that soccer brought on in their own mission to civilize, their grand mission to civilize the Africans. The Belgians, with their close affinity to the Catholic Church, which is always a fishy thing to say. If someone said, like, I got close affinity with the Catholic Church, I sure hope that you're staying a little away from them. But anyway, the Belgian affinity with the Catholic Church, who preached this idea of a healthy mind and a healthy body. And I just want you guys to know that means code for a Western mind in a Western body. They believed that by giving the African savages a Western sport, they could start to think like a Western man and have Western values. So as we can see, soccer first needs to be popularized within the home country before it could be actively advocated for within these new colonies. Now, some of you might be sitting there, whether in your car, at home, or you're just leaving this on and you forgot you left it on. Some of you are sitting there thinking, man, this guy really likes to think about Africans in a very passive way. Like they're just taking in whatever the Europeans want to do to them. And in all reality, you can't really talk about how football gets to Africa without at least to an extent talking from the perspective of these European people. Because they are the ones who brought it there. They are the ones who actively encouraged the sport to be played by Africans. Well, like I said earlier, that Africans themselves were taking huge interest into the sport. They were playing with seeds. They were coming to games where they were barred entrance into. They were starting to slowly set up their own leagues, clubs, and their own associations in order to funnel their newfound energy for this new European sport. But in the beginning, it's mostly about what Europeans did to Africans, just as many, many things that colonialism does. It's about what Europeans did to Africans. There was little say that Africans could have when you're blatantly technologically behind these Europeans. I mean, that might be for some a little racist to say, but it is the practical truth. I'm not saying that Europeans were more virtuous or better in any capacity. They just were more technologically advanced. They had the power to colonize. They had the power to force people to take whatever they gave. But as we're going to see in the next episode and episodes after that, the Africans are going to take a much, 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 and I say much with like that times a thousand, a much more active approach to their own sport. As we're going to see in episodes three and four, 
Africans took football, the thing that Europeans so graciously gave them, and used it against them. Used it as a way to vent their anti-colonial feelings and would inevitably help them to achieve independence. And as time moves on, Africans are going to take the sport and become some of the most world-renowned stars within the sport. Not just Europeans, but Africans too. And during the 1980s, there's going to be this huge, huge interest in African football from European clubs to bring in this new talent to their continent. So to this day, there still contains this existence of this unequal balance between the Europeans and the Africans. While Africans have their independence today, it's all about that post-colonial structure, their continued dependence on their former colonizers. And this is what's so complicated about football on the continent of Africa, is that it's their own, but it's still something that they need to depend on Europeans with. Just as maybe you could make the same relation to the resources on Africa. If you look at, this, if you look at resources as football, Europeans come in, introduce new ways to develop these resources and extract them. But eventually Africans get their independence and their own say on their resources. But even to this day, they can't extract it without European help. They are forced to go to European markets. Just as if you look at football as resources, football to this day in Africa, it exists there. It's still Africans, but it can't be brought to the world stage. It can't be utilized without the funnels and channels through Europe. And that's what's so complicated and nuanced about the sport on the continent. So overall today, what we learned is that when European powers have high industrialization and more free time, more pastime, they start to see the benefits of soccer. As more and more people play, they see the benefits that encourage, such as teamwork, camaraderie, self-discipline. And you can't take those away from the sport. But the way Europeans took it in order to civilize in their eyes the savage African by forcing the sport down their throat is poor intentioned. At the end of the day, you can say that this is poor intention, just as most things that Europeans brought to Africa, there was poor intentions behind it. British, French, Belgians didn't bring railroads to Africa for the sake of just giving it to them because they wanted to be nice. No, they gave it for their own personal gain. Football was for their own personal gain. While railroads and, and, and mines and all these other vogue things that Europeans brought to Africa with their poor intentions were for their economic gain, and to fulfill this economic fulfillment, soccer was a way for them to fulfill that white man's burden fulfillment. It was a way for them to feel, yeah, I did something good today, like donating to a charity. I gave soccer to a bunch of Africans. And that's how they saw it. But like most things, Africans took this and made it their own. It wasn't just something that they would continue to resent because it was forced down upon them. There's, that's what's beautiful about the sport, is that even though it has these very, very dark beginnings, it's still a beautiful game. It's still the beautiful game. And Africans realized that, and they would take it their own, and they would make it their own. They would Africanize the sport. And that's what we'll talk about next week. How Africans added their own twist to it. How Africans started to develop their own associations and clubs. And moreover... How Africa made soccer their own sport, not just a Western sport. So I hope you'll join me next week. Thank you.
And this is Yusuf Ben Mira from Coffee Shop Talk, signing out and saying, come on, you gunners.